Northside Church. We're excited to have you all with us today. Uh, we're especially excited to have those who are part of our Haiti team back. Um, take a chance to ask them about their trip. Let them uh, tell you what maybe one thing that God taught them or, or, or uh, one exciting story. Because, yeah, as Steve likes to remind us, they're, they're going to come home uh, filled to the brim with lots of exciting things that have been happening. Um, we also want to recognize this is uh, Veterans Day weekend. If we have any veterans, uh, those who have served in our military, can you guys stand up? We're just going to give you a hand. Uh, Mike Nice Warner is, is among that group. Uh, I know we have others. Thank you. We appreciate it. Awesome. All right, I'm going to open us with a word of prayer. Father, we, we are grateful that we can come here in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would lift our hearts before the throne, that you would remind us of the goodness and the mercy and the justice of God. All those things come together perfectly uh, in the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for, for us. And we want to just praise you for that and thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. sing one more song but uh, I just want to want to let you take a moment to pray we have several needs in the congregation that I'm just going to mention this is a good chance to pray for those needs Gary and Iyer uh, have some health issues that we're praying for Ken Taylor had a had a stroke this week and uh, we've all been praying for Ken it does sound like he is supposed to uh, be able to go home later today um, but we'll continue to need to pray and support uh, him as he recovers from this. So just take a moment, bow your head, and then uh, we'll sing in just a minute. I'm just going to mention a couple of uh, announcements before Steve comes up. We have our missions offering, our quarterly missions offering at the end of the service today. So that's something that uh, we do every quarter. We distribute it equally between many of the missions, missionaries that we support. And I believe we also are, are uh, looking to be able to provide some additional su support to uh, some of the parties impacted by the uh, recent uh, situation in Liberia. So the Tim Ministry and CMML and, uh, and Lois Richard. So um, those are some things that we have opportunity to give towards. I also believe there's a there's a birthday uh, a first birthday party that everyone is welcome to after the service today. Feel free to stick around to help uh, help celebrate. I believe Great Greatus is one years old. I believe so. Uh, looking forward to that. And then um, and Generation Jesus uh, has their practice today. So if you are part of the of the musical the youth musical group that is part of Generation Jesus, uh, make sure to. Uh, make sure to go up to that. So um, I don't think I have anything else. Steve, I'm going to have you come on up. Thanks, Alan. Um, thanks, everybody. Uh, the other announcement that we have for today is that we have uh, two couples that we're going to 
recognized as uh, new members here at Creekside, so we're really excited for them joining us and being part of our, our church family here. So uh, if I, when I call your name, if you just uh, stand up, okay, and then we won't have you come up here or whatever, we'll just have you stand up. So uh, Corey and Jessica and Brandon and Anne-Marie. So uh, we are just, uh, we give them a round of applause and just uh, welcome them to our church fellowship. And then uh, let, let, me, let me pray. And then uh, after the service, you, you couples can kind of be out there so people can greet you. Some people probably here have, have not met you. So this is Corey and Jessica, and that's Brandon and Anne-Marie. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for, uh, for these couples and for their uh, partnership in the gospel and their willingness to come alongside and be uh, part of the church family. And I thank you, Father, for their hearts uh, they have already, uh, in the short time that they've been here, uh, just dug in and, and, and made this part of their, uh, us part of their family and, and we part of theirs. And I just pray that you'd continue to enrich and encourage and bless them in their lives, in their ministries. And I pray uh, that we would uh, work together for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're glad to, glad to have, them, have them joining with us today. And recognizing them today as, as uh, new members, so it's good. All right, here we go. The, I'm back from vacation. Thanks for praying. We had a, had a fine time. Uh, just a bit of news. Uh, we, it's a small world. We ran into Alec and Annie Packer on our, our vacation, so uh, we were able to spend a little bit of time with them. You know, uh, last week, uh, there was this guy, uh, and some of you know who he is, and some of you don't. We'll show a picture of him, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. And he was convicted on seven counts uh, in federal court of, uh, you know, I don't know whether it was embezzlement or what the exact charges were, but a fraud with regard to his, uh, his crypto uh, currency business, FTX, okay? Uh, I mean, we're talking billions of dollars that he was fraudulently uh, worked people out of. And what's interesting is that uh, Attorney General uh, Merrick Garland said it this way. He said, Sam Bankman-Fried thought he was above the law. Today's verdict proves him wrong. Well, you know, so Sam Bankman-Fried's advantages and his accomplishments, and he grew up, you know, very, uh, in a very wealthy family, had a lot of connections, a lot of things that, that went his way. They gave him a false sense of of security, that somehow he was immune, immune from any penalty for, for doing stupid stuff, or for any mistakes that he would make, any sins that he would commit, any laws that he would break. And what's interesting to me is that uh, his confidence, despite his disobedience, parallels that of the religious Jews, the religious leaders, the religious people that Paul addressed in this passage we're looking at this morning in Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. You see, Paul revealed uh, the, the wickedness of the pagan Gentiles in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And then he uh, took aim at the religious moralists in chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. All the time trying to awaken to people the understanding that they are really in need of a remedy, which he spoke of in Chapter 1, verses 16 17, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But why do we need the gospel? And so now he turns his target on 
the Jewish people. The people who, of all people, would have thought they were somehow exempt from any kind of need for anything because they had it all, because they were God's chosen people. And so the hypocritical Jews are confident in their religious advantage and their religious privilege. They deserve God's judgment just as much as anybody else. Their privileges and their piety, uh, they weren't reflected in a heart that was sold out for Christ or sold out for God. And so they, by virtue of their mistakes, their disobedience, they deserve to be judged just like everybody else. And so Paul's indictment of the Jews also applies to all who would rely upon uh, external forms, outward appearance, outward activity, rather than internal faith as the basis for our security, the basis for the realization that, hey, we aren't going to experience God's judgment, and it doesn't come because just, we, just because we do all of the right things, just because we show up, just because we dress up, just because we act up for Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to, to Romans uh, chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 17 through 19. And in this passage, now, uh, if you're to have the notes in there, uh, I've changed some things. So I'm going to try, you know, I'm, again, I've told you this is always a, a work in pro- progress, okay? Uh, and so basically when I say the, the, the introductory statement that you have in your notes, it's going to be up here, is a little bit different essentially the same, but the idea here is, I'm going to say that in these verses, Paul revealed that, there, there, that two tremendous advantages that the Jews had don't exempt them from, from, from God's judgment because they're disobedient. Their, their disobedience, even though they have these privileges, doesn't exempt them from God's judgment. Our privileges don't exempt us from judgment because of our disobedience. We we're all stand guilty before a holy God. And so I'm reading in Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse 17. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those in the darkness who are in the darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, though through your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of, the, of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. If therefore the uncircumcised man keeps the requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And will, he, will not he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not of men, but from God. Now, 
I don't know about you, but as you read, as I read down through that, I'm kind of thinking, yeah, I've read that many times this week, but it's kind of like the circumcision, uncircumcision, circumcision, uncircumcision, da 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 da. You get lost in all the, all that stuff. We're going to unpack it as we begin. We we see the the first of these uh, advantages, these advantages that the the Jews held to. I think it's important to understand that Paul was addressing the Jewish people who held tightly and firmly to certain privileges, advantages, and things that they had. And in lieu of that, they looked down on everybody else. And so first of all, we see that our God judges lawbreakers, regardless of religious privilege. Okay, there's two steps uh, that Paul took to make uh, his case. First of all, the, the privilege of the self-righteous is, is extolled uh, in verses 17 through, through 24. And we see this, him beginning with, but, uh, he says, but if you, so he's introducing a contrast. He's introducing a contrast between the Gentiles he had just mentioned in chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. A contrast to the Gentiles who instinctively obey the law that they had never received. They instinctively obey something they had never received and they're justified because of it. But in contrast to the Jews who had received that which they didn't obey and are therefore condemned by it. That's the the contrast. So he's introducing this contrast. So Jew, what's that mean? Jew was a title, okay, basically a designation for those who could trace their ethnic and religious heritage back to Abraham. Okay, so they were through Isaac, okay, so they were, they, were, they were the Jew, Jewish people. And they considered this title as a, a badge of honor, okay? And so now we're going to look at, in beginning with verse 17, the second part of verse 17, we're going to look at what it is they, they considered as the basis for their, their arrogance and their, their confidence that somehow... Uh, uh, they were God's favored people, and therefore they were exempt by virtue of the fact that they were his favored people from any sense of judgment, despite how they lived. Like, okay, it doesn't matter how we live, we're Jews. And so we begin in verse 17, they relied upon the law. You bear the, you who bear the name Jew. And then, I, if you, I think, I, you can't read the sense of it, but if you could read these very rapidly, it's kind of like this is their... Their, uh, their merit badges, okay? Anybody been in Boy Scouts? Uh, now it's, yeah, so I was a Boy Scout. I didn't go very far in Boy Scouts because we moved and they didn't have Boy Scouts. So that's all right. It's all changed anyway. Anyhow, uh, I know some of you are into a different thing, and that's good. But anyhow, it's merit badges. You get these rewards. So you go to Awanas, you get the, the, all the stickers and all this stuff. Here's what they had, and they worm with pride. You who rely upon the law. They prided themselves in the possession of the, the law, the, the Torah. The books of the law, the five books of law, the Old Testament as they knew it, the Nabim, the Katavim, and the Torah. Okay, so they had all of it that they knew. They, they received it, and they disdained the pagan Gentiles who were idol worshipers, and, and as far as they were concerned, these, these, these pagan uh, uh, people, these idol worshipers, they were ignorant, they were immoral, and they, they were irritating to God. They were the, the dogs if they, weren't, if they weren't Jews, okay? And so then the text says that they, they boast in God. And their boast in God was, about a, was really a self-affirmation. 
we are God's people, okay? And they boasted in, we are the ones who worship the true God. Everybody else is just kind of substandard, all right? The, 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 their veneer of religiosity uh, disguised to themselves their own spiritual bankruptcy. I and mean, they were just like, hey, we have it. Everybody else doesn't. And this is what Paul is beginning to, or trying to erode. While we are on vacation, uh, we were outside one time and uh, we were sitting in some chairs and this gal came out and uh, she started talking to Marla. Marla was there before I was and I came out later and so <laughs> this gal was just kind of going on and, and she by, openly kind of just declared, you know, that she was a Christian while she was discussing her blatant immorality. And I was like, and I, she didn't even see the disconnect. And I think this is what can happen to any of us who are religious. It happened to the Jews. They just, they were Jewish, and that's all that mattered. And so they, they had this veneer of religiosity that disguised their spiritual bankruptcy. And so Paul says, wait a second. He says, then they, they, they know his will. What is his will? They understood uh, what pleased God, what pained God. They understood what God commands, commends, and corrects and condemns. They knew it all, but they didn't do it all. We, we know this stuff, but they were somehow... They, they, then the, the text says that they, they approved some things, okay? That they examined God's Word. They were able to examine God's Word. They were able to determine what was most excellent. That's what the ESV says. Uh, I think the, the, the NASB says that which is essential. So they could take a look at the Word of God and say, this is what's really important. And they could test it so as to prove it and understand. Uh, and then it says, the text says that they were being taught. They, they were deliberately, systematically, regularly, and, uh, and thoroughly instructed. When, when the text says that uh, you know his will and approve the things, verse 18, that are essential, being instructed, they were catechized. Okay, that's the, the Greek word which, from which we get our English word catechism. They were routinely, regularly instructed in, the, in, in, the, in these things. And if you know a little bit about the Jewish people, uh, if an Orthodox Jewish people, they, young boys, they memorized large sections of, of the Old Testament. They memorized large sections of it. I was with a, a gentleman on Friday evening, and uh, this man, a believing friend, who as a child was part of a fascist uh, group that uh, hated Christians. And uh, they, this group meets every single day to be indoctrinated. And they indoctrinate young boys to, to and this is still going on in, the, in, in his country of origin, where he's, where he's from. We meet once, maybe twice a week. Uh, sometimes, you know, uh, hopefully, as a family, you're, you're, you're meeting more regularly to uh, teach your children about the things of the Lord. But Paul says, these, you Jewish people, you had it. I mean, they were kind of like these fanatic fascists in the sense that they were doing it every day, routinely. They were being instructed in, in the law. And 
then in verse 19 and 20, he kind of strokes them again. And he says, and are confident, and I like this, that you yourselves are the instructors. Yeah, of course. It makes sense, right? Because we have the truth, and we know the truth, and so we're the ones who are the arbiters of the truth, and we are the guardians of the truth and the givers of the truth. We are the people who you should listen to. They arrogantly declared themselves to be the most qualified and the most capable religious instructors in four different areas. Um, now, the, the average Jew, and especially the scribes and, 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 the, and the Pharisees, they considered themselves, and the text says this, spiritual guides to the blind, um, the uneducated, the, the spiritually unaware, okay? So these would be the, the deficient pa pagans, mostly the Gentiles, all right? So they were the ones to enlighten them about the truth. What's interesting is that they thought they were the, the, the ones who would teach the blind. Some of you remember what Jesus said to, to the Pharisees, that they were blind guides of the blind. Well, they thought they were enlightening. I mean, Jesus says, uh, no, actually, it's not that way. In Matthew chapter 23, verses, verses 24 through 28. And then they said they were a light to those who are in the darkness, which, you know, actually they were. We go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God told Abraham, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And if we took the time, which we're not going to take the time, we go to Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. You're a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel, his servant. And speaking of, of, of the Israelite people, they were supposed to bring the light of the truth of the gospel of the person, the work of Jesus and, and, and God to the entire world. That's the end of Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Not just Israel, but all nations, they were supposed to be the ones leading it. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. He's speaking to his disciples, his Jewish disciples at the time. Yes, we are the light of the world too now, but he's saying this is what they're supposed to do. God's plan has always been for his chosen people to shine the light of God to the nations. Eh, so they had that right, but they didn't do it, all right? And then he says, you're an instructor of the foolish, think Gentiles, ignorant Gentiles. You're a teacher of the immature. Uh, these would be the young Jewish people, right? Young children, they're the immature. But also Gentile converts that, hey, they didn't know, diddly squat about, you know, this stuff. I don't know when I'm supposed to stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. I don't know how I'm supposed to act in, in the sanctuary, in the temple or whatever. I don't know what I'm supposed to wear, what I'm not supposed to wear. Isn't it great when, when, you, when someone who's just a new believer, and they're like, they're just drinking all this stuff in about the Lord, and they don't know. I don't know I'm not supposed to, you know, uh, what I'm supposed to wear, what I'm not supposed to wear in church. I, I, I didn't know that I was supposed to not say these words. I didn't, you know. And it's like, they were, they were supposed to instruct these people, you know. I remember in one of the churches we served uh, prior to coming here, the, the church we served in prior to coming here, our associate pastor was having a youth meeting, and I think I mentioned this before, and, and uh, the, he was talking about Jesus, and one of the students came up to him afterwards and says, well, who's Jesus? 
This is in America. This is in Iowa. This is, who's Jesus? Never heard of Jesus. Well, they were instructing these, these people who didn't know anything about God. And the Jews, the text says, had in the law, in the Torah, and in the entirety of the Old Testament, they, they had the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. They possessed and professed. Now, now the word um, embodiment is, is the Greek word for form or the framework. So they, had, they had the framework of, of, of the knowledge of who God is. And they were supposed to disseminate this knowledge and of his truth. Interestingly enough, Paul uses the same word in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, when he says, in the end times, they will have the form of godliness, but deny its power. In both places, Paul is attacking this counterfeit spirituality. They had the form of it, but denied the power of it. We witness the same thing. Uh, those who arrogantly, but I think detrimentally, assert themselves as spiritual guides. Our, our son had a, religious, a religion prof uh, in, in college who was an open, uh, an open lesbian. It's like, okay, I mean, you know, it's like teaching Christian doctrine and living contrary to, it's like, whoa, wait a second, it doesn't connect here. In the same way, Paul is calling them out. Secondly, we see that the, the perversion of the self-righteous is exposed. You see, Paul kind of, if you will, in a way he's building them up. They, they would look at what I've just described in verses 17, uh, 18, and 19, uh, down to verse 20. They would see that as a commendation. Uh, but Paul is about to do a, an about-face on them and to turn what they deemed a commendation into a condemnation. And so it's exposed. And there's two considerations here. First of all, the corruption is revealed. Uh, verse 21, he says this, You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Wait a second. No, we're the teachers. We're supposed to teach ourselves? Yeah, do you teach yourself? You therefore, it, it invites the self-righteous Jews... Okay, that, that introduction, you therefore, it invites the self-righteous Jews to evaluate their practices, which he has just listed, the, the, you know, the practices, uh, uh, which he's about to list, I'm sorry, in light of their privileges, which he has just listed. So he's, he's saying, okay, I want you to take a, an, an assessment here. I just listed your privileges, now I'm going to, you therefore, in light of these privileges, how do you practice it? What, what's the practice look like? And then he's going to begin to unpack that. And, and through a series of questions, which serve as indictments, uh, Paul uh, exposes their, their wickedness. So these, these are questions, right? But they're rhetorical questions. They, they, they're expected to be answered in their minds. And first of all, he gives a general summary of their hypocrisy. It says in you, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? That's the general Statement of their hypocrisy, the question. They had rules for thee, but not for me. That was their spiritual uh, approach to life. We'll teach you to do it, but don't ask us to do it. Okay? It's always a dangerous parents, you know. Uh, this is an aside. Uh, as parents, you know, we, we try to teach our kids, but if we're doing the very thing we tell our kids not to do, uh, 
you know, and we were all kids too, right? So dad and mom said, no, don't do that. And I was like, why not? You do it. I mean, what's, what's, so here he starts out. And what we see is they were guilty of this. And they, they, they treasured and taught God's truth. But they didn't practice it. Uh, Jesus had something to say to Pharisees who did this too in Matthew chapter 23. Verse 3, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. You're down here in the minutiae, but you missed the main thing, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. They're blind guides. They thought they were enlightening guides. No, you're blind guides because you're focused on all these minutia things and you should be focused on the bigger and better things as well. It happens. And I would say we see this in our world. We see hypocritical stuff in our world. And I'm going to use this intentionally. I may get in trouble. But the, the climate cultists and their, their main guy is, is Al Gore. Okay? And Al Gore has a 6,500 square foot home, beachfront home in California and flies around telling you and I that we need to reduce our carbon uh, footprint on his private jet. Now, something doesn't connect. And Paul says to these Jews, look, you teach, but do you teach yourselves? And so then he mentions three areas of their hypocrisy. First of all, stealing in 21, 21b, and, you know, I mean, obviously robbery was not something God condoned. Uh, it's in the Ten Commandments there, you know, you shall not steal. But they did. <laughs> it was strictly forbidden. And Jesus accused the, the, the Pharisees of robbery in Matthew chapter 23. Uh, actually, Matthew 23 is a good parallel to this, this whole passage here, because in Matthew chapter 23, 35, Jesus says, you were, you were stealing. And in fact, remember when Jesus cleared the, the temple of the money changers and, and, and those who were the merchants in the temple? And he says, you've turned my father's house into what? A den of robbers, a den of thieves. You were stealing. And so he says, that's what they were doing, but telling people, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't steal. Then he says, uh, he talks about adultery. Well, we know that one's not right, not right because that's also, you know, uh, forbidden by God. But how were they committing adultery? Well, could have been in, in, in their hearts. I mean, Jesus had something to say about that in Matthew chapter 5. You've looked upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery already in your heart. It might have been in their flesh because some of them were proponing or purporting and promoting divorce. That wasn't justified. And if the text in Matthew chapter 5 verse 32 and Matthew chapter 19 verse 9. Uh, if if you, you committed divorce and you marry another person without uh, valid reasoning. You're committing adultery. And, and it just might have been just their, their own flesh that they were actually doing it. And then the last one is kind of confusing. It says you who abhor idols. Which good for them. They abhor idols. I mean that's uh, number one and two in the Ten Commandments. Uh, no idols, then why do you rob temples? And I don't know if you were with me, but I was like, where did that come from? I mean, how, what does the robbing temples have to, anything to do with And some say, well, it has to do with they, they were robbing the actual temple of God. I don't think that's what it is because he's uh, saying they abhorred idols, and so it has something to do with these idol temples. Uh, we see this in Acts chapter 9, 
uh, with, or 19 with, uh, with Paul and his companions, and they're said not to have done that. So it's like, it must have been a thing. It seems to me, in, in my study of it, that some uh, Jews were pilfering the temples just for profit. I mean, just go in there and steal the good stuff out of these temples for profit. And others were doing it, and maybe the same guys, they were doing this in order to, to prevent the spread of idolatry. You know, we just desecrate the temple, steal a bunch of stuff and get it out of there. Then they can't promote what they're, this, this heresy that they're promoting. It doesn't really matter. It's, uh, Paul says, you're doing this and it's wrong. And this, you stand condemned because of it. All right? Now, Jesus condemned the, the, the Pharisees for proclaiming but not practicing the truth. On the Sermon of the Mount, we see that it's not just the Pharisees who could be guilty of proclaiming but not practicing, but that all the Jewish people, in fact, every person who names the name of Jesus today could be guilty of, you know, if you profess Christ, you could be guilty of stealing, adultery, any kind of sin. We're capable of it. And this is the thrust of the entire section, beginning with chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, is that sin is in us, and we're all capable of it. Then he gives the conclusion, verses 23 and 24, okay? The conclusion is related to them. You who boast in the law, through your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? Well, that's kind of a no-brainer. Through breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? Absolutely. There, there's really no question about it. The, the Jews who boast in, in while breaking of the law, they dishonor God. And it's evident because he, he, he trumps them, he, he stamps it in the next verse by quoting Isaiah chapter 52, verse 5. And so what's Isaiah 52 verse 5 he just says for the name of the God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you just as it is written Isaiah 52 5 was that they the God's people had been taken into captivity and while they're in captivity they lived in these horrible conditions and so the Jews uh, were were living horribly and the Gentiles looked at it and thought because each nation had their own quote-unquote God, they assumed that the God of the Jews was impotent to do anything to help his people. And so the name of God was blasphemed. It was put down and disparaged because he, he wasn't able to do anything to help them out in their poor estate. And so Paul is saying, okay, the Jews disparaged and blasphemed God in, in that day. And today, as you do this stupid stuff and you sin against God by not fulfilling what God has called you to do, you teach what you don't practice, guess what? The people look at you and go, what kind of God is that? I mean, who, who wants to worship a God that just allows you to live like everybody else? That's silliness. They, 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 they shouldn't do it. You know, Their blatant hypocrisy caused the Gentiles to look down on God. I think MacArthur was, was right when he asserted the, that the principle applies equally but even more powerfully to believers. We have all of the Scripture. We don't just have the Old Testament. We have all the Scripture. We have Jesus. And we have the Spirit of God living within us 
And so when we do, when those who profess faith in Christ, when they do what God's word forbids them to do, the world looks and goes, you know, that's a religion of fools. I mean, you think about it. You think about, and I've mentioned his name before, Ravi Zachariah. He had an international ministry, traveled the world doing apologetics, teaching about Jesus, and he was living a lie. We know just from the last several months about a situation from one of our own missionaries in this church, Lucas. And when this happens, when, when we teach but we don't live, guess what? The testimony of Christ is reviled. The name of Christ is reviled. The testimony of the professed believer is ruined. And the advancement of the gospel is retarded when this happens. But I thought about this, and I was praying about this this morning. Oh, isn't it easy? See, we can become the Jews in this picture. Because, well, I'm not Ravi Zechariah. I didn't do that. But it could be me. It could be you. And that's what Paul's trying to say, I think, to the Jewish people. Oh, you think you're above it. You think you're beyond it. You think you're exempt from it. Oh, no. It could be us. And that's the danger here. When professed believers live ungodly, the lost look and they say, Why would I want that? I don't need to turn from sin. I'm going to turn from sin and then go sin. Doesn't seem to make sense to me. And so Paul takes issue with the privilege. And he says, when you're privileged, but you're disobedient, you're still under judgment. In the second section, in verses 25 through 29, he takes aim at a second advantage which they clung to. Our God judges lawbreakers regardless of their religious piety. And particularly in view here is circumcision. There are two steps that Paul took to make this clear. First of all, the fiction uh, that circumcision without obedience has value is exposed. It's a fiction. All right? Two ways circumcision's value is inextricably linked to obedience, to the law. First of all, there's a straightforward declaration. Look at verse 25. In 25 he says, For indeed circumcision is of value if you practice the law. The for indicates a shift. And now he's focusing on uh, uh, the focus from condemning the hypocrisy of what they uh, had done because of their special position. Now he's focusing on the hypocrisy that comes about because they take, they take this issue that they have this superior practice. And the superior practice exempts them. Previously they thought their position exempted them from God's judgment regardless of how they act. Now they think that their special pious Religious activity keeps them exempt regardless of how they act. Circumcision was a sign. It was a sign of the covenant. Go back to Genesis chapter 17, all right? That the Jews had a special place with God, and they were his chosen people through Isaac, okay? And the Jews boasted in it. That's like, hey, we're circumcised. We, we've been, and then they belittled the uncircumcised. And apparently they are unaware, as the text says, that circumcision is of value only if you keep the law. Why is that true? Well, you can write this down if you want. Galatians chapter 5, verse 3. 
is that there was this obligation to abide by the law if you were circumcised. Funny thing, though, nobody could do it. (laughs) You can't keep the law. I mean, that's kind of the point of Paul's making there in Galatians chapter 5, but all of Galatians, but you you can't keep it. And so they, they weren't able to do what they were required to do. And the physical surgery was simply a, rep, a, a reminder or actually a, a represented, it represented the cutting away of their heart, but it didn't cut away their heart, the, the sin in their heart. It, it only was a sign of cutting it away. It didn't actually do it. And so they were futile. In fact, what they boasted in, they should have been broken by. Their circumcision should have been a reminder that they were unable to keep the law, which they were obliged to do because they were circumcised. But no, they pressed ahead. They pressed ahead and they believed that it guaranteed that they would be praised by God. They would be provided by God. They would be protected by God from any kind of judgment, regardless of how they lived. And I would say, and this is the danger, folks, the danger in the church today is that there are so many people walking around. Now, I'm not saying the Jews are are, are the church. I'm just saying that the principle applies to the church. Well, I was baptized. No, I was confirmed. I got, I got catechized. Yeah, I'm a church member. I, you know, I can tell you where I got my membership. I got my membership papers. You don't know how many sermons I have heard at a funeral where the, 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 the deceased is proclaimed to be okay with God because of these things. He was baptized. Well, he was a member of the church. She, she served faithfully in the church. Now, I'm not saying any of that's bad. I, that can be good stuff, but that's like circumcision to the Jews. Without obedience, without the obedience of the heart, it's worthless. These people stand condemned before God. What a travesty to stand up and say, oh, they are, they're fine. That's not the Bible. It's not the Bible. This delusion prompted Paul to double down, okay, on his correction. And you see what he says, uh, but if, uh, but in the end of the second part of verse 25, but if you are a transgressor of the law, you Jew, if you are a transgressor of the law, guess what? Circumcision is uncircumcision. So disobedience plus circumcision equals uncircumcision, which means you're just like the Gentiles. You're you're just as pagan as them. You see, it reflects a heart that's never been turned to and tuned in to God, which is actually what circumcision was intended to be. Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, verse 15. Uh, I think, do we have that? Yes. So circumcise your heart and do not stiffen your neck any longer. You see, this was not a new lesson. In Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, the, the, the prophet told them, he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will punish you all, of, all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. Well, how can that be? Because they're not circumcised in their heart. He says this. Uh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, these are the surrounding uh, areas. He says, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all those inhabiting the desert who trim the hair on their temples 
for all the nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. You're no different. If there's no circumcision of the heart, if there's no true rending of the heart, turning away from sin and, and acknowledging God, then he says you're, you're not really, it, it's, your circumcision is worthless. If Israel and Judah, through circum, the circumcision in the flesh, abandoned God in their hearts, they'd be no different at the judgment than those who had never been circumcised to begin with. Then he goes through an interrogation. He's not done. And you realize, these people prided themselves in this stuff. So folks, if you think it's like, well, it's like if you are a, a member of a denomination. I know some people are like, hmm, well, I'm a denominational person. I've been this all my life, and I'm going to be that until I die. And I've heard people say that. Yeah, well, I don't like what they're doing in the church, but I'm a... And then you fill in the blank. Well, they were a... And then fill in the blank. Surprising interrogation in verses 26 and 27. If, therefore, uh, if disobedience proved the circumcised in the flesh to be uncircumcised, if disobedience proved the circumcised in the flesh to be uncircumcised, he's going to argue the opposite's true. Obedience plus Uncircumcision equals circumcision. Whoa, that's a shocker to them. Now, I, we can't feel the full import of it because we didn't grow up in that culture and in and, and that religious system. Should an uncircumcised Gentile keep the requirements of the law, he would be regarded by God as circumcised in his heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 9 uh, says that you know circumcision or uncircumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. What matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. And you keep the commandments of God because of your heart, because we can't do it in our flesh. Paul turned this hypothetical possibility, that is, of a, a Gentile, an uncircumcised person, being actually obedient and then being considered circumcised, he turned the possibility against the Jews with a supremely shocking conclusion in verse 27. And verse 27 says this, And will not he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you, who through, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? Oh boy, so you're telling me, or I, he's telling them, you're not tell, he's telling them, it doesn't really matter if you're a Jew. I mean, in, in God's eyes, you, you, you missed the boat. You missed the point. Because you can be an uncircumcised person and obedient, and God is going to look with favor on that person more, and actually that person is going to judge you. The, you are the ones who stand in judgment on them right now. And Paul is, is unleashing uh, all, of, all of his fury against them. If an uncircumcised Gentile abides by God's law, the privileged Jew who possesses but doesn't practice the law will be judged by him. And Jesus said something like that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation. Now, who were the Ninevites? They were the nasty people that... Uh, Jonah refused to share the gospel with for fear that they might turn to God. 
And they did. He says, we'll stand up with this generation at the judgment and we'll condemn it. What generation? The generation of, of, of Jews. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here, Jesus. Wow. Same idea. Is he's, he's trying to drive home that all of these trappings don't give you any security. It's a matter of what's in your heart that, that's really, that's really the, the issue, okay? Both Paul and Jesus highlight God's rightful judgment on the disobedient. And then, lastly, the, the, the fact that true circumcision is not physical and external, but that is internal and spiritual is explained. Notice the, verse, the, the word for in verse 28, okay? It introduces the definition of what really is a Jew, what really is circumcision. And it concludes uh, Paul's indictment of the Jews. So he's, he's, he's ra- wrapping it all up. And he's going to tell them what a real Jew is. I've been talking to you about circumcision, uncircumcision. I'm going to explain it all now. This is the conclusion. I'm wrapping it up. First, negatively. He is not a real Jew, I think you can put that in there, who is one outwardly. There's no external factor, no genealogy uh, that, that's going to do it, no ethnicity, no religious connection to, to some temple that's going to make you a Jew, that made them Jewish in the sense Paul was talking about. Okay. Nor is circumcision that which is outward of the flesh. The physical act of circumcision is worthless apart from obedience. I could dress like Patrick Mahomes, right? I mean, I could, I could have the whole full gear on. I could have actual NFL uh, jersey and pads and helmet and all this stuff. I could stand up here. That doesn't make me a pro football player. Not in the least. All of the trappings of being a Jew... Or a Christian. Doesn't make it so. And I think that's what Paul, he is not a Jew, okay, who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is the flesh. Positively, Paul declared he is a true Jew, who is one inwardly, and true circumcision is of the heart. And notice the contrast. It's not outward, it's inward. It's not of the flesh. But it's, it's inside. And it's not of us, but it's of the Spirit. Notice he goes on. And brought about by the Spirit. Not by the keeping of the letter of the law. It's not about all these do's, 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 don't, don't, don'ts. And I'm not saying, especially when you apply that to Christianity, that we, we, we are exempt from the do's and the don'ts. What I am saying is the do's and the don'ts, as far as Christianity is concerned, don't make us right with God. The do's and the don'ts didn't make these people actually Jewish in the sense that they would please God and be exempt from his judgment, which is what Paul is trying to say. Paul's message to the externally focused Jews was consistent with what the Old Testament taught. Real circumcision is inward and of the heart. Other verses, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. We touched on this previously, but Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart 
and the hearts of your descendants to love the Lord your God. Now, notice what the effect of circumcision here is. He'll circumcise your heart to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. That sounds a little familiar to something in the New Testament with regard to believers. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and you'll love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. So I'm not saying it's the same. I'm saying it's, well, it is the same. Circumcision of the heart for the Jew meant that they were really a Jew. Circumcision of the heart for us means that we're, we're truly a believer. In Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4 says the same thing. We don't need to, uh, to, to belabor it. You can write it down. Similarly, a true Christian is, is not one who's outwardly religious <laughs> while still being disobedient. Yeah, well, I come to church. You know, I smile at people, and they think I'm good, you know. I talk about Jesus. I, I like what Brother Anand said in the first service this morning. You know, there's people, uh, the, the demons believe in Jesus. I mean, we don't, he didn't say that, but I'm saying that. What he did say was there, there's other guys who profess that they know uh, God. They even talk about God, but they don't really know God. I don't want that to be true of you. You come into church, you sit in the pews, or we don't have pews, you have chairs. Uh, you, you sit and, and you, you smile and you, you go out your business, you sing the songs, oh, I'm really into the worship, you know, I'm really into singing and song, but you don't know Christ in your heart. In the same way it's possible for the Jews to be condemned because they were clinging to their Judaism, it's possible for those who come to church in a Christian church to die in their sin because they think that they're okay just because they're a whatever. You fill in the blank as far as the denomination, the practice, the, the, I, I got baptized, I got catechized, I got confirmed, I went up, the, up front and, and, and you know, at a prayer meeting one time, you know, whatever the thing is. That didn't save you doesn't save you we are seen in this passage that all of us are in need all of us are in need of salvation and he says to the circumcised in heart that they will receive praise not from men but from God who as we saw in chapter 2 verse 16 judges the secrets (laughs) what do you want you want praise from men or praise from God See, Paul wrote to the Jews, they relied on their great advantage and they stood condemned on the basis of their disobedience. And they joined all of humanity in the same condition. They thought they were exempt from it, but all of us are condemned before God because of our sin. That's chapter 1, verses 18, all the way through what we've gone now, okay? And all of us are in need of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. So I ask you this morning, do you believe that your religiosity will save you? Or do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and his death paid the price that you deserve to pay? You see, the marvel of this is that the the enormity of our depravity emphasizes the, the, the extent of God's mercy. When I see how much I don't deserve what Christ has done. Oh, how I realize how desperate I am and He's done it and He's done it for you. He's done it for me. Let us praise Him, praise Him, praise Him if we're His children. And if we're not, let us turn to Him 
so that we're not subject to this judgment and this punishment. Those who are saved by grace. If you're not saved by grace, repent and believe. If you are, rejoice. And we sang a song. That really, I don't know how many people were actually rejoicing. We were singing this song, Alan, right? You guys rejoice in the Lord. I mean, it should be all the time. And I confess, it's not for me either. But this is who we are in Christ. As we, as we take the symbols of what Christ did on the cross, His body broken and His blood shed, th- th- this is the solution. It's a reminder of what the solution is. The remedy for the malady. The malady is our desperate sin. The remedy is the redemption we have in Christ. And it's faith alone in Christ alone whose sacrifice purchased our pardon. Receive the gift by faith. And if you have received the gift by faith, then rejoice in it. And reflect on your condition. Take a few moments and say, Lord, help me, search me, and, and try me, and know me. And if, if I really am your child, help me to understand the depth of my depravity and the depth of my um, uh, wickedness and what you've done for me so that I can rejoice more fully in it. And then come and take the, the bread and the cup. You're invited if you know Jesus. And if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, then my challenge to you is don't delude yourself. Being in church doesn't save you, only Christ saves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Apostle Paul and for his boldness to confront those who thought they were safe but were actually deceiving themselves. I pray that that would not be true of us. In Jesus' name we pray.